Nothing on the Bonnell Foundation's Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast should be considered medical advice. Medical advice can only come from your CF physician. Cystic fibrosis can be a devastating diagnosis, but living with the disease can bring positivity and a new appreciation for each day. From the Bonnell Foundation in Detroit, Michigan, it's the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast, sponsored by Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex. Here's your host, Laura Bonnell. People getting married who have CF, we don't hear about that happening very often. We've always been told that people with CF should not be in the same room together unless they're six feet apart. This is impossible to do if you have children with the disease and, of course, if you marry someone with cystic fibrosis. Zach and Farrell both have CF, and knowing the reasons why they shouldn't marry did not keep them apart. They met in 2014 on a Facebook cystic fibrosis group where Farrell was sharing a testimony of how changing her diet had helped improve her lung function and quality of life despite losing a couple of pounds in the process. And Zach was talking about his own journey with CrossFit and his experience, and he experienced some of the similar results, an increase in lung function, even though he had lost a few pounds while increasing his cardiovascular exercise. They didn't believe in the eat everything you can in high calorie mantra that was told to all CF parents at diagnosis. The couple followed each other on social media for a while, but it wasn't until the following May of 2015 where their daily communication started. So Zach and Farrell ended up marrying in July of 2016, and it wasn't without controversy. And that is where our discussion begins with them. So it's so wonderful to have you both. Um, We only just recently met, and it's great to see you face-to-face. Thank you both for being willing to talk about this, Zach and Farrell, about the fact that you're married and everything that comes with making that decision. So if you can both kind of say how that went, you know, for each of your family members and parents and all of that. Yeah, so it was um, <clears throat> it was tough. Farrell had actually dated a couple of people with CF in the past, so that was not new for her. It was very new for me. I had never even like been face to face with anybody else other than seeing somebody in a hospital hall or something. I think our family was initially very timid and then also very excited because you know they'd seen us interacting on social media over you know six months or so. Loved where we were both coming from and where we were at in life. But it was, yeah, it was definitely a big step, a big leap of faith to be like, okay, we're going to meet for the first time. And uh, mm. man, that, that first trip, Farrell flew from, from Arlington, Texas. It's where I was at in Tampa, Florida. And um, I, I just went and picked her up the airport, just the two of us. We hung out and met each other that first day and then went to go meet my family the, the second day. And that was, that was July 16th, 2015. And uh, gosh, Farrell was just immediately adored by, by my mom and my stepdad. And uh, gosh, we, we had like a four or five day trip that first time meeting together planned out. But um, man, it was tough. And then, you know, maybe a few months into our relationship, we're like, okay, this is, this is serious. <clears throat> Excuse me. My lung functions um, had been bad in Ohio before I moved down to Florida. I moved to Florida when I was 25. We knew this was going to be a topic of conversation for our care team. And when we started thinking about um, moving her from, from Texas to Florida, we approached our care team and was like, hey, this is a real relationship. 
we've been together for about six months. We're, we're moving towards marriage for sure. And, you know, how do you guys feel about that? It's good talking to our, our CF care coordinator and into our actual position. And they were both like, okay, <laughs> um, man, I love you, Zach. <laughs> this is, uh, I know you've been thinking a lot about this. This is tough. Would she consider being a patient here also where we could keep an eye on both of you guys? And we're like, yeah, absolutely. It's a part of the plan. And they were like, okay, let's do this. Yeah, because I was, <clears throat> I was close to being on the lung transplant list. That's why I moved to Florida. I was like that borderline floating around 30% lung function at the time. And didn't want to like be considered disqualified or non-compliance. Uh, as a patient, if I, if I needed a lung transplant, so we just treaded those waters carefully. Uh, but then they met her at the first visit and we were just like, okay, this is, this is totally real. This isn't a fling. This isn't a fluke. These guys are meant to be together. And it was very, very apparent. And Farrell, you know, on your side of the situation, how did that go? Um, I would say my friends were a little more nervous for me than anything. Um, because they were concerned that I was going to show up and get murdered. They were, <laughs> they were scared that Zach was not who he said he was. <clears throat> My mom was very go with it. She loved the sound of him. She loved how happy that he made me. She loved how good he already took care of me, even long distance. She loved hearing about our trips to see each other, and uh, she was all for it. I remember being at a Mexican food restaurant with my two best friends at the time. And I really thought Zach was never going to talk to me again because <laughs> they messaged him on Facebook demanding a copy of his driver's license and his employment information, which looking back on it now was probably very wise. I'm not going to throw you um, on the bridge. You know who <laughs> you are. But it was probably very wise. Um, so I would say my CF team was... Um, they were fine with it. They understood me wanting to move. They understood um, wanting to try out a different climate. I had never lived in Florida before. And yeah, so I, I would say my my side, my my friends were probably a little more worried than anything. But again, same thing. They met Zach and they were like, oh, go for it. He's great. So. But they weren't worried about the CF aspect. They were worried about murder. They were. <laughs> they actually were a little worried. Uh, one of my friends was a little worried. She only knew me from hospital visits, or not only knew me from hospital visits, but she knew me through the hospital visits. And she was very concerned about so. Are you guys going to be in the hospital together? Are you going to be in the hospital more? Um, are you guys going to get each other more sick? And we just kind of had to say, I don't know. And so far, you know, we're eight and a half years in and that hasn't been the case. But at that time, it was just, I don't know. We're just going to have to, we're going to have to wait and see. And, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking about this because I do think, you know, just from, you know, the movie, Five Feet Apart, and just from people talking about it, it is frowned upon, right? But then I was thinking about it, and obviously my both my daughters have cystic fibrosis. And I remember at one point when the doctor said, yeah, just try and keep them apart and keep the windows rolled down in the car. And I said, that's impossible. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible. Don't drink out of each other's drinks. Good luck, right? I mean, 
you try as hard as you can, but kids are kids and they don't have all of the same bacteria. So they, after all this years and all this togetherness, they still don't have everything of the same as far as bacteria goes. Right. So either one of you, you were not fearful of of this either, or was this what you thought about as well? Um, I would have to say just because of my involvement with the CF community, I had had a lot of friends beforehand. Um, and like he said, I had, you know, casually dated a couple of people where they were just, I don't think this is going to work out. Uh, but more so, I had a lot of friends and we traveled together. We traveled for each other. We opened our homes to each other. I've been in, you know, a couple of my CF friends' weddings, and I know that it has happened and that it continues to happen, Um, but it was not something that I was necessarily afraid of. I guess really just because of my experience in the community, it had never happened with any of my friends and I, and it was just that the benefits outweighed it so much, like to just have a community that understood on a firsthand level, not just said, oh, that really sounds terrible. I'm so sorry, but is really, you know, in the trenches with you and says, no, I get it. And this is what I did. Like, it was just invaluable. And that's what our marriage ended up being. It's invaluable to have somebody on those really, really bad days. They don't have to ask, what do I need to do? Then like, all they need to do is just look at you and say, okay, I've got your oxygen ready. I've got your antibiotics ready. I've got your breathing treatment ready. Um, Here's a pallet on the couch. Let's go out there and watch, you know, movies all day. Like it's invaluable. And really when it came down to that, when it came down to my decision, um, personally, my decision was it's worth it. It's worth it. And I remember saying, and some people are going to disagree with this and that's okay. Like it's not our or try to change anybody's mind. My personal decision was I would rather have a quality of life that's not as long than a quantity of life that is not as deep and rich and full and understanding and understood as possible. And Zach, what about you? Because that is what I was going to ask you, but you beautifully answered it, Farrell. What having the same disease brought to the marriage? Yeah, I think at first, uh, I didn't think as deeply as she did. I do now. I definitely stopped and thought about it, especially that first meeting. I was very nervous. Similar, not as deep as as my wife thought about, but I was like, okay, if this is real, it's going to be worth it. Whatever consequences come, if this is real, it's worth it. And those first several meetings, again, we met four, five, six times. She flew to Tampa. I flew to to Arlington and saw each other for three, four, five, sometimes six days at a time. Before we were like, okay, we're meshing really well. I'm being able to pick up and pick her up where she's weak on on days and she's able to totally be there for me on my weekdays. And again, I don't think we were ever sick when we visited. No. It wasn't wasn't until we moved in together that we saw, you know, a horn or or an ugly. Mm Mm-hmm. But those first several times, it was, it was just absolutely invaluable to have her hear me do my breathing treatments and go, okay, this is a bad day. Mm-hmm. I need to be softer. I need to be more gentle. On her bad days, it was, okay, extra cuddle time, <laughs> extra snacks, mm-hmm. extra movie time. And again, no words. 
just you knew. You knew and we could be there for each other. And we watched our health get better. Yeah. It didn't get worse. It got we were better. our healthiest at that point when we lived in Florida and we were first together. We were we were the healthiest I think we had both been in years. Yeah. <coughs> and you're in East Texas now, correct? Yes, ma'am. In Tyler, Texas. Yeah. How are you both doing as far as your health goes? Yeah, I've dropped maybe 5% baseline. I, so I was, I, I got my lung function back up to 40% in Florida doing, you know, CrossFit nutrition, that kind of thing. It's been hovering. <coughs> it's, been, it's been hovering around 35 for the last, we've been here five years now, five and a half years. So stable, but not as good as in Florida. And um, for the past couple of years, I've just had a very strange fluke going on. Um, I've been in the hospital seven times since the end of 2020. They couldn't quite get a grasp, and I don't even know if they still really ever got a grasp on exactly what was going on. I pulled out of it, thank God. But when I went in the first time in 2020, my lung functions were around the 60s. And that was low for me. My baseline was about 85. And in the last two years, I've seen everything from 60 to 92 to 29. I literally dropped from 92 to 29 in about a month and a half. Caught some bug, uh, went in in December uh, into the ER with acute respiratory failure, and by the grace of God, bounced back. And now I'm back up in the 70s and just... Kind of praying that doesn't ever happen again because that was terrible. East, but East Texas, East Texas is hard, been has been very hard on been both rough. of us. But I would say for the most part, for being 40 and 37, I would say we're both still pretty remarkably healthy. That is wonderful. What are some of your concerns? I, I wanted you to talk about food, too, because that is something we agreed on with my kids as well, not to go the route that we were initially told, like, just give them butter and high fat and give them ice cream for dinner. And then, I mean, just pour on the food. And we just realized when they were getting older, my gosh, you know, they can eat healthy and still gain weight. Sure. Yeah, that was the exact same route that my mom took. Um, In 1983, when I was diagnosed, they told her the same thing. They said, give her McDonald's, give her ice cream, give her everything with calories. And my mom was like, that sounds like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And she she wasn't trying to be rude, but she was just, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why, if infection is what you're primarily, like you've got it hard enough when you're healthy with CF, if you're trying to stay away from infection, why would you lend all of your time and your energy to eating these foods that are inflammatory? And so she did the same thing. She studied um, food combining and learned how to pair, you know, greens and and starches and lean proteins and everything. And I mean, on a level that I never got to, but we try to, and that's not to say that we, especially these past, I would say six or seven months, there's been a lot of comfort food the last, I'd say a year, the last year or so. But ideally when we're on a good solid diet, we avoid dairy, we avoid gluten, I always have to avoid high fructose corn syrup and MSG. MSG really closes my throat up and high fructose corn syrup just makes me really anxious. If we do sugar, we try to do cane sugar or raw sugar instead of regular. And we really try to do a lot of monk fruit. Like we try to substitute a lot of stuff 
to try and stay as healthy as possible. And it's hard because when you are sick and in pain all the time, our wanting and craving comfort, like it's almost constant. It's almost nonstop. There are very few days that it's like, oh, I feel good. I don't need extra snacks or chocolate or whatever. But when we do stay conscientious of it, and when we do discipline ourselves better, we try to mainly avoid those five things. And we can see a remarkable difference in our health when we do. And even when I go in the hospital, for whatever reason, I start craving better foods. I eat a lot of salads, a lot of grilled chicken. Um, we go to UT Southwestern in Dallas, and they just have a, I mean, five-star kitchen. Downstairs, it's amazing. They feed us so well. Mm-hmm. And I start to crave better food. I, I want the fruit. I want vegetables. I want, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we get home and... It's tougher. It's right back to the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and let me ask you, are you both on the CF modulator? Are you both able to take that? And if so, has it helped? I'll start. I am on a modulator. What was that winter of 2019, mm-hmm. December of 19? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that was a that was a hospitalization for me. I went several years. I did not go into the hospital when I lived at those five years in Florida and made it couple years in Texas before being hospitalized. Um, but yeah, the winter of 19, my lung functions dropped down into the 20s. And mm-hmm. it was scary. And we started talking transplant again. I was just like, I don't think transplant's right for me just yet. And they were not happy with that decision. <laughs> they thought it was a little crazy. And I was like, that's okay. That's just where I'm being led right now. That's not for me right now. And then the modulator came out and... uh 2019, and I started on in December of 2019, and I immediately got a uh, energy bump. My lung function did not jump a whole lot, maybe three, four percent at most. Uh, but I went from, <clears throat> excuse me, I went from not being able to move or exercise to jogging around the block. I, so I've been on a modulator for a little over three years now, and it's had me steady, constant. Um, I still have pain. I, you know, still do my breathing treatment. Still get in the gym and exercise as often as I can. I still eat right, but I don't wake up choking anymore. I don't absolutely 100% have to do my breathing treatments before I go to bed or I wouldn't be able to sleep like in the past. Um, the mucus, <laughs> I create almost no mucus now. Like you'll, you'll hear me. I still clear my throat from time to time. It's still there, but it's way, way better. Sure. She was pretty much the opposite. Yeah. I kind of joke around that we're a house divided when it comes to the modulators because I get all the side effects and he gets none of them. And so uh, we actually got to take our first dose of the modulator the very first time together. And I didn't really start seeing the side effects for maybe about a month. But when they hit, they hit hard. I did feel the anxiety that a lot of people experience on modulators. I did feel that immediately. But mine was more the GI route. Um, I just stopped going to the restroom for days and days and days at a time. Mm -hmm. My lung function, however, it was a very difficult decision for me to make. uh, Because like I said, when we first moved here and kind of got settled in, my lung functions were 50s to 60s. And about two weeks in, we had a doctor's visit and they were 106. Wow. And so... (laughs) I had to make the decision, 
if I wanted my lungs or my GI to work. And for me personally, I saw more misery in the side of my GI not working because I, you know, I went off of it for a little while and then I went back on just to kind of gauge which one I could deal with better. And, you know, for me personally, the GI was far, far more miserable. And so I came off of it in February and then tried again and then came off of it again. So um, it's been a little bit of a journey, but that is definitely something that our doctor has pushed me to retry just because of my hospital visits lately. And I'm just, I can't do it. I can't. When they retried you again, was it at the same dose? Uh, No, it was actually a baby dose. I took a quarter of the dose and I still did not go to the restroom for seven days. It was Sunday to Sunday. And I was like, I can't do it even on just the quarter dose. So because I had learned that when they desensitize you to that modulator, that they can put it in a liquid form and give you very small doses for about a month and then get you on the pill form in a month. So I didn't know if you had tried that or if that had worked. But yeah, that really is painful. I mean, as far I'm just talking mentally, you know, in addition to the physical aspect you had, because all your hope is kind of there and then your husband's able to reap the benefits of it. Right. That's really hard. It has been really awesome to get to see him, though. I will I'll never forget the very first morning. It was four days in and I woke up and it was quiet and I will never forget the sound of silence when I woke up that morning because I was used to waking up every morning to the nebulizer humming and to him coughing until he vomited every single morning. And four days into it, I had to go look for him to find out where he was. And he was out in the backyard playing with our dog. And that was that was an extraordinary feeling to to not. And I think I've heard that noise twice in the last three years. It has not been missed. I'll just say that. Right. And even for us and my daughters, it's like, wow, same thing. I didn't even want to speak about it when I noticed that there was no coughing. I was like, I'm just not going to say anything until she notices that she's not coughing anymore. And I didn't. It was really hard not to say something, but at that time... She was living at our house and she ended up, that was like, I don't remember, day four. I think it was day four for us too. I have everything journaled, but, and I was like, oh my gosh, every day you notice something, but that, the coughing that stopped, that was just unbelievable, right? And it's so beautiful that just like my own kids, um, day nine, one of my daughters, I don't like to keep saying who because I don't think it's important, but one of them had to go off of it because of a reaction. She had hives head to toe and was having problems. But she said the same thing to her sister as you're saying to your husband was, you stay on it. You're not going to stop because I can't take it. And it's just a beautiful, supportive thing. And I really appreciate you helping me and everyone else understand because you really don't think that Most people don't think anybody with cystic fibrosis should marry another person with cystic fibrosis. Really, that's what's out there. What are you finding now that you're eight years in? Do some people give you their thoughts on it or is it pretty well (laughs) accepted? It's still a mixed bag. 
it is absolutely still a mixed bag. So, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> Any public engagement, speaking engagement, whatever, we just, we feel it necessary to preference. This isn't for everybody. Like this was long thought out, heavily discussed amongst friends, families, CF care teams. It was not on a whim, but I wouldn't have it any other way personally. Um, but yeah, dude, we, st <laughs> we still get hate. <laughs> we still get hate. We still get shunned out of chat rooms and shunned out of speaking engagements. They're like, oh, we, we just wanted one of you. We don't want both of you. We've been told that they hope that we die, like so that we'll stop draining the economy with our disability lifestyle and that if we ever have kids that they hope that they die too. Like we have heard some gnarly stuff um, behind keyboards. And I, w I don't think we've ever heard any in person. I will say that uh, the people that we know in person are incredibly supportive. We are Christians. We're Jesus followers. And a lot of our friends just look at us and they say, so, and I say this with no arrogance, like they say, so basically we're looking at two walking miracles. Like how could anybody not like that? How could, how could anybody get mad at that? <clears throat> and our answer is, I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, it makes some people overjoyed and it makes some people cringe and repulsed. And I think mainly the main reason is fear. I think you get a choice in life to live by love or fear. And we've had a lot of both. And we try and we pray to always live by love. And that's kind of what we boil it down to, though, is it seems to be the ones that are afraid are always like, what's going to happen? What if you get sick? And uh, what if you kill each other? And, you know, everything else. And others are just kind of like, if you die young, you had a love that, I mean, was worth it. Was worth it. And that I know I wanted my whole life, and I don't know if I ever truly believed I would find it. And so we've definitely developed a little bit, well. Thicker skin for a thicker he skin. He has. I haven't. <laughs> so. I mean, love is powerful. It's about love when you're on this earth, right? So I completely understand what you're saying. And I also think that I mean, couples can get cancer maybe at different times. I mean, all kinds of things happen. So it is very much judgmental if you're getting any sort of hate, which I think is so wrong, of course, and nobody should judge anyone else's decision. And I thank you for, you know, for sharing it because I know everyone won't be cheering you on, but... And that's okay. Yeah. It used to make me really mad and now it still hurts, but I'm like, it's okay. I mean, even if you were separate, the argument about it is so, I mean, you still have insurance, you still have bills, you're, whether you're together or not. It's an interesting discussion. We could go on and on um, about it. But now that you briefly mentioned kids, I mean, is that something that you're thinking about or is statistically unlikely? Um, I think we both have open hearts is that if that happens, we're not seeking extra help through in vitro or anything like that and mm -hmm. we're not avoiding anything either it's just we're just kind of open-handed about it if it happens yeah. we're, we're on board if it doesn't happen that's pretty much what we've been expecting our whole lives so right we're okay we're okay there too yeah i was always told i always say i don't know if i ever really developed a maternal instinct 
And I know that that's not um, necessarily the same across the board because I know many CF friends of mine that have longed to be mothers their whole lives. I never really developed that because they told me when I was young it was not going to happen. And so I just said, okay, so I will make my, I don't want to say my purpose necessarily, but I'll, I'll still have value. You know, I'll still have purpose. Right. And we have, we've talked about adoption. We've talked about what if it happened? Would we freak out or would, and it's just been a, I think really for us being, you know, people of faith, that if that happened between two CFers, it was supposed to. And so that's kind of the way we look at it. If it happens, awesome. <clears throat> if it doesn't, that's okay too. We try to just stay open-handed to that. So Yeah. And for anyone who might not know, men with cystic fibrosis are usually infertile, excuse me, but women um, with cystic fibrosis can have children. And sometimes it depends on the person. It can increase how sick you get. The pregnancy can impact how healthy you stay. So there is a lot around it when you're talking about that. But I also wanted you to talk about what you do, Farrell, and then Zach. I was just going on your Instagram and saw a beautiful post, and you are doing a lot of writing, correct? And tell us about that and what you're doing. Sure. So cystic fibrosis is one of many fires that ended up awaiting me in this lifetime. And I have been blessed with an opportunity and a passion for writing. And so I'm actually about halfway through penning my memoir. Um, it's going to be called Love You More Than Life. And there's a whole long story to it that I won't go into, but it's, it's just the way that there's been a silver thread of sacrificial love and unconditional love through my whole life starting with my dad and showing up in Zach and so many other areas that I can't wait to write about. Um, but as I'm doing that, I'm actually also doing a, uh, in December, I opened a very small little home-based, I don't want to call it a business. I, I sell things that I like to make, um, but it's called Breath of Life Handmade. And I uh, recover stone paper journals and I uh, make grading cards and wall calendars right now. It's just a little paper products business. Um, but it's inspired by, you know, they said that I wasn't going to be here past eight. And I kind of jokingly call that in CF humor. I call that my expiration date. <laughs> and I'm three decades past that. And I attribute that to the grace of God. And so I have kind of made a hobby slash, if you want to call it a business, creating artwork on how I how I see life through that lens. And um, there's a cystic fibrosis part of that. There's a lot of scripture to that. Um, it's just kind of whatever I feel inspired to write through that. And so far, it's been really cool. It's been cool to see how people have responded to it. So those are the two things that I'm kind of into right now. That's wonderful. And Zach... Yeah. So when Farrell and I first met, I was a CrossFit coach at a gym, um, you know, was paid coach and did that whole thing. Um, man, lots changed since we got married, but I still do CrossFit out of my home gym in my, in my garage here. Um, and I just have, I just, I don't charge. I'm not, my license is expired and everything. So I just have people over who either want to exercise with me or have some kind of goal in mind. And I just work with dudes in my garage. That's fun for me. And it's it's a male camaraderie building thing. 
my fitness goals look completely different now than they did when I was, you know, 25, 30 years old. I care way more about being able to get out of bed in the morning without pain than I do about lifting 500 pounds now. (laughs) So things have changed, but they're also still the same. And uh, it's just a really cool opportunity. You know, we each kind of got our own thing of where we volunteer, where we put our time, effort, and energy into. Mine's usually, you know, almost strictly all guys based, whether that's at the gym in my garage or, you know, different ministries we serve at. I typically stay with all dudes and love being able to pour into different guys um, through our faith. And she does through various ladies groups and we do stuff together a lot. We, you know, cook and serve food and do a lot of food ministry stuff together. It's an adventure. It's always an adventure. We're always doing something new from month to month. That is wonderful. And like I always say with my foundation and even these podcasts, I mean, talking to you, in my opinion, is therapy. Like I feel that getting to learn other people's stories, your stories, I always get something wonderful and inspirational from it. And it always makes me think differently about maybe how I was thinking about something, you know, even in this case about, you know, people with CF getting married. So for you, what does what you do, how does that impact you in your life? Uh, the physical fitness aspect? Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's, it's very hard. But, you know, Farrell touched on just how totally different our side effects and symptoms in life with CF is. Like, we're 100% different. What works for me does not work for her and vice versa. For me, staying physically active, getting my heart rate up, riding a bike, jogging, getting in the gym and lifting heavy weights, moving fast, doing push-ups, sit-ups, squats, air squats, that kind of thing. Like that keeps me going and keeps me healthy. And I, I, man, I don't know. I, I, I've not been totally inspired to like do a YouTube channel or anything like that. But I've had other CF guys reach out to me like bodybuilding, especially since modulators have come out. Everybody that had been in the gym for 10 years already started getting big. And it was like, yeah, you know, we, we can get big. This is cool. Um, the getting big is not really my thing anymore, but staying physically active. And yeah, can I, can I stay in the gym four or five days a week and keep moving and keep long, you know, long-term plan. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still floating around 35% lung function. I'm not running marathons, but right. yeah, I, I do care about staying here and not getting worse. That's, it's, it's definitely a long-term goal oriented. And what are your hopes for the future for both of you or your plans career-wise? Where do you hope to see yourself going? So, gosh, who knows? <laughs> and your hopes maybe with the CF community even, yeah. If I had like a goal, it would just get to be a, really just an author. I'm, I'm fine with being an author to actually get my story out there and get to share. If I could achieve best-selling author, like that would, that would really be like my, that, I think that would be the, the icing on the cake. That would be the cherry <laughs> at the top. That would be the, okay. I've done what I wanted to do here. I would love to get to be a best-selling author and just get to meet people. I don't necessarily need the speaking engagements. He's very active. Um, he stays very active to stay healthy. I need a lot more rest. I always joke that I'm kind of like a puppy. I like cuddles and snacks and sleep, and I'm good. 
But yeah, I would say that would be my dream come true to get to be healthy enough to get to travel and to get to meet people and um, to get to share my story with anybody who will listen, really. (laughs) Well, I think that's great, Farrell. Yeah. And why not? You should be. And then we'll have you back on the podcast or we'll be on your podcast by then. Who knows? Maybe so. Yeah. Gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm such a winger guy most of the times. Uh, travel would be awesome for mm-hmm. us. I would love to go around speaking to people. You know, I think long-term goal, and we've talked about if we had our own little plot of land wherever it is, our own little tiny home wherever it is, to be able to have still have a community gym for guys and physical fitness and to be able to have some kind of community aspect where we could set up picnic tables and feed people and yeah. Make it a once, twice, three times a week thing where people are just invited to come gather, share stories. Like the, we didn't touch much on the mental health except for what you said. This is yeah. This is our mental health and being able to share meals and sit across the table from people that keeps us going. That's something that we're both very passionate about. We love, we love cooking for friends. We love having them over. We love game nights. We love the one-on-one. Like. Social media and the internet are beautiful things when they're used correctly, like they can they can change the world. But nothing will ever replace the sitting across the table and the sharing the food and sharing the stories and really getting to do life with each other. And that's something we're both very passionate about. We love we love opening our home and we really have it um, probably over the last six months because of the different health concerns. But we're we're looking forward to getting to the point where we can do that again. and. I think we both really miss that. We miss. Yeah, sure. Yeah. We also just well, moved out of the city. Yeah. So <laughs> six months ago, we're, we're 30, we're we're 30, here. We're 30 minutes from our old friends. So it's, it's tough. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I think it's beautiful. And I also think since you put all your dreams out there, of course, it's going to happen now. I mean, it would have happened anyway. But I always think that once you visualize it and put it out there, it's going to happen. So... I wish that for the both of you. Anything you wanted to add before we wrap up here? Anything inspirational you have to say to the CF community or or anything like that? I would have to say my truest encouragement for the cystic fibrosis community would not be necessarily to be a rebel or to buck a system just to buck a system, but to be okay with thinking outside of the box and be okay with stepping out in faith and be okay with maybe doing things differently than you have in the past if something isn't working anymore, to be okay with kind of taking a different route and kind of seeing where that takes you. Um, Everybody is different. I think that's, I've had two doctors in my lifetime of all the, the medical history that we have Two doctors have looked at me and said, I'm not the expert. You are. You're the one who lives with this every day. And I hugged one because I knew him very well. And the other one I just met. So I didn't hug him, (laughs) but I wanted to just because that was such a relief. I feel like a lot of times textbook and knowledge can replace compassion. And Mm -hmm. I understand that there's a lot of concern with doctors to not want to try things out of the box because what if it doesn't work? What if you do end up hurting yourself? And I would say that's probably my encouragement, though, is just if I can boil it all down, you are your greatest advocate and you know yourself better than anybody else. 
And if you have to fight for that, then fight. It's okay to fight for that. If nobody's listening, if nobody's paying attention to you, if nobody is helping you in the way that you need to be helped, it's okay to fight for that. It's okay to fight for, cool. for change if you have to. Beautiful words. Great advice. She's awesome. <laughs> Dude, nothing gets us through this life without Jesus. This is plain and simple. I did this life for a long time without Jesus, my first 30 years. Life is hard, and there is no guarantee that it's going to be easier if you try harder or do more. I've laid that down at the altar many, many times. There are many years I spent 100% compliant, didn't miss a medication, didn't miss a breathing treatment, didn't miss, miss an exercise, and I still got sick. And I didn't have anywhere to take that kind of pain because I was doing everything I could. And it wasn't until I found Christ that I, I found hope on the hopeless days. Yeah. And, you know, my wife, <laughs> my wife was my first, uh, my, my first witness of what hope during crisis looks like. And we need it. The world needs it more now than ever. We need hope on the hopeless days. And we're not promised health. We're not promised longevity, but we are promised a savior that walks with us through the valleys. Yeah. And that, that keeps us going on the hard days. Absolutely. If I can share one other story, sure. like this is one of yeah. my very favorite stories. I remember at my absolute sickest in 2018, one of my favorite Bible verses is uh, God is talking to the Israelites and he tells them, essentially, I won't quote the whole, um, but essentially he says, I will be the one that carries you even to your old age and gray hairs. It will be me that sustains you. I will carry you and I will rescue you. <clears throat> and I remember in 2018 being so sick and just and knowing when I read it, just knowing deep within me that that was for me. And also looking around going, okay, you're, you're losing your marbles a little bit, you know. And two and a half years later, I found my, my first two gray hairs. And so it was, I got to see a promise of God in action and it, it rocked my world. And so, yeah. It's beautiful. I think everybody needs to do what works for them. And I think it's been wonderful to meet you. You're just two inspirational people. And I'm really glad that you found each other and that you're <coughs> making things happen, you know, and impacting the CF community and talk to us today to share with us your journey. It's really going to impact other people. And I really appreciate it. So thank you both. Thank, thank you, you so, so much for having us. The original music in this podcast is performed by Kevin Allen. It's not complicated. Who happens to have cystic fibrosis. We all got our worries and fears. I know what's got you frustrated. But loving you is so all right. This has been the Living with Cystic Fibrosis podcast. For more information and to learn more about the Bonnell Foundation, visit our website at thebonnellfoundation.org. That's the B-O-N-N-E-L-L foundation.org. This podcast was sponsored by Beatrice, Genentech, and Vertex. It was produced by Jagging Detroit Podcasts. Follow our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now.